finances, as you know, like nobody likes talking about them. Mm-mm. Everybody wants to put on a brave face. Everybody wants to show everyone else that they're doing good. Just look at your social media. You're listening to the Small Business Mastermind, a podcast created by Olympia Benefits to help small businesses juggle business, finance, health, and wellness. I'm your host, Morgan Berna, and if you'd like to be updated when new episodes are posted, please subscribe at olympiabenefits.com slash podcast. The connection between mental, physical, and financial health is one that tends to be left out of conversations about wellness. Yet 48% of Canadians say they've lost sleep because of financial worries, and 44% say it would be difficult to meet their financial obligations if their pay was late. While dealing with financial stress, we are twice as likely to report poor overall health, four times as likely to suffer from sleep problems, and are put at risk for more serious health problems like heart disease, high blood pressure, and depression. It's a connection we can't afford to keep ignoring. That's why on this episode, I'm sitting down with Russ Dick of Frame Financial to discuss the connection finance has with our overall well-being and strategies you can use to improve your financial health. So with that, let's jump right into the conversation, and I'll be checking in with you again at the end of the episode. My name is Russ Dick, and I am the CEO and co-founder of Frame Financial, and we're an employee wellness planning company. Russ Dick holds a certified financial planner designation, which is a formal recognition of expertise in the areas of financial planning, taxes, insurance, estate planning, and retirement planning. After years of helping Canadians strengthen their financial situations through one-on-one coaching and workshops, he is now leading the Frame team in finalizing development of a financial wellness program to specifically help the roughly 7 million Canadian employees who are stressed by their finances. He's lucky to have such an amazing entrepreneurial wife, Kristen, along with his two kids, Wesley and Elena, who have the incredible ability to lighten anyone's day. To start, I wanted to give you a bit of our background on why this topic was so interesting to bring you on for. So as a health spending account provider, wellness spending account provider, we've done a lot of blogging, ebooks, conversations around physical health, mental health. But we've never really tied in this idea of financial health as a component of your overall wellness. So I felt like this was an interesting topic that maybe a lot of people haven't had a lot of experience with, haven't really seen that connection. So thank you for being here, Russ, today. Great to be here. I wanted to start with first, what would be your definition of financial wellness? My, my definition of financial wellness is definitely just being aware of where your finances are and not stressing about them on a day-to-day basis. It's not necessarily you're free from any financial pressures, mm-hmm. but it's the awareness, knowing what's coming up and knowing what tools you have to deal with them. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like almost a sense of control even if there are things slightly outside of your control. Exactly. There. You have a company called Frame Financial, and you put a focus on the relationship between finance, mental, mental and physical wellness. What inspired you to create this? Well, as a, uh, I've been a financial coach for quite a few years now, and the one thing that I kept encountering with people coming to me looking for help on their finances is that A, they're already in financial difficulty and they couldn't afford the one-to-one financial coaching, which is quite expensive. Yeah. 
there's not many tools available to people to increase their financial literacy that actually kind of provides context to what position they're in. Online, there are many, many different blog articles, videos and stuff, but it doesn't really provide the context of, hey, this is the specific situation you're in. Here are the tools that you need to put into place to really help your financial situation. So I call it uh, an overload of content and not enough context. That's a good point. A lot of the banking apps and things just show you what you have, but there aren't necessarily, I guess, goals associated with it. Um, Unless you research it on your own, I don't know how you would know if you're in a good place unless you're working with a company. So where have you experienced or seen this relationship throughout your career? Pretty much on a daily basis, talking with clients, um, financial health, financial wellness and physical health or mental stress Mm -hmm. is one and the same for my clients. It's the number one cause of stress in Canada for Canadians. So dealing with financial stress is vital for people to, you know, improve their their mental health Mm -hmm. for the most part, yeah. And do you know off the top there how many Canadians would be struggling financially, maybe just a ballpark? Well, I, I definitely looked at the numbers this morning just to make sure I had it right because it's, uh, it's 8 million Canadians that are working that are stressed on a daily basis with their oh. finances. And uh, I think there's 10 million Canadians that have lost sleep over their finances, working Canadians. I think almost any of us can relate to that at some point or another. What are some of the ways that financial stress can impact our physical health? Financial stress shows up much like any other type of stress. So there's the main two types where, you know, acute stress is in the moment, uh, boost of adrenaline, your body responds immediately. But financial stress more than likely is chronic stress. So Mm -hmm. stress over long periods of time, it really never goes away. So it can have the same impacts uh, as, you know, any other stress where, you know, increased chances of heart attacks and stroke. Yeah. Um, it can show up as uh, anxiety disorders or even depression if it goes untreated. It's kind of all-consuming and has a huge impact on someone's uh, body. Yeah. When I was looking online, I was seeing things like migraines being linked directly to financial stress, which is not something I would have ever considered. I think about, oh, it's my muscles are being weird or the weather's weird. (laughs) I don't think I would make that connection. And then, yeah, the cardiovascular disease is a big one. So when you're working with a client and you notice them improving their financial health, do you notice any improvement in maybe their mood or any sort of mental signs they were showing to you? Definitely in most meetings when uh, we come across uh, like a very stressful situation, talking about debt, talking about uh, where their finances are, and you start to show them like, here's the plan mm-hmm. where we're going to fix this. You can, you can see the weight just like, re- like drop off their shoulders. It's, yeah. it's, I, I, that's the one part of my job that I absolutely love is seeing there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We are going to get through this. It's not going to be a day, a two. It's going to be, you know, five years possibly. But we are going to put a plan in place and we're going to get through this. Mm-hmm. And I like saying we because I'm definitely, I'm in it with them. I, I see the effects on them. I see the stress on them. And yeah. all, all I can think about is I want to help. 
yeah, and you must have so many strategies in mind where you're like, oh, if we just do this, (laughs) I know that'll help. For um, a business owner with employees, how might they be able to see those employees in the workplace that are having some financial stress? Are there any signs to look for? This one's a little bit tougher because we are very good about hiding financial stress. Um, Finances, as you know, like nobody likes talking about them. Mm -mm. Everybody wants to put on a brave face. Everybody wants to show everyone else that they're doing good. Just look at your social media feed, Instagram. It's all about here's the best parts of my life. So when employees go to work and they're stressed about finances, they are very good at hiding it. Mm-hmm. But if if the employer actually looks and sees um, some of the symptoms, it could look like a lack of confidence. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe someone who's checking their phone a lot, just distracted. Yeah, th- there are many people that look at their financial situation and try to deal with their finances while at work. Mm-hmm. There is, uh, I think they say, three hours per week per stressed employee they're just focusing and trying to work on their financial situation at work. So they look at that, but then it could look at the opposite spectrum. Um, They could be extroverted, you know, showing off, kind of trying to overcompensate, always wanting to go for drinks, hanging out, but then, you know, it could be more withdrawn. So it's very difficult to actually look at any individual employee and say this action or what they're doing could be a sign of financial stress. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that, at least in my experience, is really talked about in the workplace. I know, you know, you get your paycheck. Sometimes you're offered various benefits. Maybe you're offered um, like a plan where you can buy into a stock, something like that. But at least from what I've seen, there aren't a lot of businesses that sit employees down and talk to them about managing their finances. Not necessarily that that's their obligation, but it just might be something that could be helpful when people aren't getting it elsewhere. Do you think employees are getting what they need from employers to improve their financial wellness? Well, I am a little bit biased on this, but I, I don't think they're getting what they need. Um, but I'm not, I'm not sure employers are actually trained on this kind of things either. Yeah. Like... Um, family and household situations that bleed over into work, employers don't necessarily want to get involved and don't have the training to get involved because, you know, they, you want to have uh, a defined line of what is work and what is home. Yes. And I think employees kind of want that too. But on the other hand, employees actually look at business owners and managers as mentors and for business owners, uh, your employees probably look at you saying, like, you have your finances together. I want to learn what you know yes. in order to kind of help my own situation. So whether you like it or not, or who knows, small business uh, owners might not even have their finances all in order, but that's what employees see. Mm-hmm. They see employers are providing for so many employees, and they've got a small business, and that's kind of a huge deal to these employees. Yeah. So obviously it's, it's, it's one of those ways where employers can be a mentor and whether they want to or not are kind of, kind of a spokesperson for fiscal money management. Yeah. And it's been interesting because the conversation about workplace wellness has really been growing. I think you can look online and just see tons of blog posts 
everyone's buzzing about it, but a lot of it does focus more on the exercise, physical health. Mental health's in there, but it's still growing. How great would it be to have a lunchroom talk about budgeting or saving your money, that sort of thing? Maybe an opportunity as well for an employer to learn a bit more if they are having some, some struggles as well. For an employer, outside of doing things like paying an employee more, giving out bonuses, things that are directly financially tied to the employee, what are some things they could do to help employees and maybe themselves improve their financial well-being? As you had mentioned before, wellness spending accounts are actually uh, a really big deal to employees. Um, you know, 8 million employees in Canada are living from paycheck to paycheck. Mm -hmm. So knowing that a wellness spending account that is a little bit more flexible to help them pay for things where, you know, it improves their quality of life yeah. without, you know, having to sacrifice something else is a really big deal to them. And some of the other things is, you know, providing that unbiased financial coaching, one-on-one -on -one seminars, as you said, lunchtime seminars, um, providing a, um, you know, financial literacy programs within the business. And uh, some of the new programs that are actually being started by Canadian or Canadian companies or Calgary companies. Uh, one is Zazoon here in Calgary. They are providing a way for employees to access earned wages before the paycheck arrives. So it actually skips um, employees going to the payday lenders for high percentage fee loans, mm -hmm. which is incredible because these employees need access to their wages early. And if there's no if there's no access to those, they are going to go to the the only place that will lend them money in, you know, at hundred times percent on uh, on interest rates, which, uh, as we've seen in financial coaching, can lead to a collapse of household finances. Mm -hmm. Another really good program being started here in Calgary is Wire Plans, and they're building a program that will allow employees with student debt to pay off their student debt quicker using employee benefit money. Which That's interesting. It's, it's been really big in the States. Uh, they have a little bit higher problem with um, student debt. Student debt. Yep. But uh, in Canada, it's still the same. We're, we're seeing a lot more millennials coming into the workplace with student debt, and it's mm -hmm. just hanging over them. So having uh, another way of paying those down quicker is a great way for employers to show that they really care about their employees and they're yeah. interested in helping them find solutions to increase their financial health. Yeah, and like you'd been saying, finding that balance between not wanting to get too into someone's personal life but providing them some tools and solutions that they can use without it you know, crossing that line between business and personal life. I think that's great. Yeah, absolutely. The The employers, they probably don't want to be seen as pushing, like, hey, you guys need to do this. Yeah. But if you offer and, you know, encourage and promote healthy discussions about money in the workplace, that will go a long way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think helps retain employees, too, anytime they're feeling supported and, and acknowledged. What are some of the most popular areas of personal finance that you see people either misunderstanding or completely avoiding? I think <laughs> the number one thing, the B word, uh, budgeting. I don't yes. think anybody likes budgeting. Uh, do you like... 
No. No. <laughs> I do. I do love a list, so I'm a bit of a type A personality that'll do it. Uh, but whether or not I follow it is a different story. Yeah. <laughs> I think what we've seen online is a very rigid form of budgeting, where it's you put down a certain number every month for, you know, dining out. Yeah. And don't go over a one penny of spending because there's no other room in your budget where that's just, it's bound to fail and it's bound to make people feel bad about their personal situations. And as a financial coach, I see so many times where, you know, a monthly budget is never cut and dry and the same every single month. It's, it's cyclical. It's, uh, every year you're going to have some things that pop out that they're the same or over the year, the average spending over the months is going to be about the same. But from month to month, so many things can change. So many um, things pop up unexpectedly where you can't control those. So That's true. Just yeah. the regular budget doesn't work. Yeah, I think of all the times I write it down and then at the end of the month, I'm like, where did it go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had a plan. <laughs> exactly. For myself, I know when I'm working downtown Calgary, I love going out for lunches. I don't like packing my lunch. Yeah. But I know that it's uh, something that I just need to keep watch on. So there, there's tools where if you have a certain area where you're spending a little bit more, mm-hmm. um, you can you know create these systems which help you really be cognizant of your spending. Um, for me, I use a prepaid Visa card where it's attached to my oh, phone. That's smart. And I only put a certain amount on my uh, card every month, and yeah. that's just for kind of my lunches downtown because I know that I am going to be spending that money, but I know that I have to limit it. Yeah. And it keeps me aware. Every time I spend money, it'll tell me, oh, you only have $70 this month remaining. Yeah. And it's it's really helpful for me. Instead of trying to you know, budget and review at the end of the month, it, I'm very present with how much money I'm spending. And I think a lot of us go into this place of denial <laughs> where we don't want to acknowledge that we're going to be spending money on lunch. Um, I like to go get coffees. I know I'm spending like 5 or $6 on a coffee and that maybe that's crazy. But that's a good point, having it something like a prepaid card or even, I guess, using your debit card too is one option. And you bring up a, a really good point that kind of irks me where people talk about the latte factor or millennials spending on avocado toast. Yes. <laughs> where everybody's concentrating on, you know, the $2 here, the $3 here. And it is important, but we, we concentrate on those because they are daily expenses. Mm-hmm. They're easy to track. We're very cognizant of it. And then when it comes to the big, huge purchases in our lives, we we just lose all ability to actually look at the numbers and say, does this work for us? Yeah. Um, vehicles, house. Yes. Those are the biggest things. Like if we concentrated more on those big purchases and understanding what we needed before we made the purchases, mm-hmm. the little purchases wouldn't even matter. It's a good point. <laughs> I have a lot of friends that'll buy new cars and then a couple years in really regret it. But you're right, we focus on those little daily things, I think, because they're easy to notice and maybe an easy one to pick on. Oh, well, I'm in trouble because I bought a coffee, not because I bought a brand new car. Yeah. (laughs) Interesting. And it makes us feel good when we're like, oh, 
we're denying the the coffee today because yeah. it's going to help our financial situation where in reality it's going to have a very little impact over the lifetime. Mm-hmm. If you stop drinking coffee uh, or buying coffee over your lifetime, oh, that would be a huge impact. Yeah. But is that is that actually reasonable? Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. Does that coffee, do you enjoy that coffee? Does it improve your quality of life? Then buy the coffee. Yeah. Interesting. Are there any other areas that people misunderstand quite a bit or avoid? Budgeting is the the big one, but I think a lot of people just avoid having conversations with each other, friends, family, even spouses about the money situation. They let it build up, build up, build up. And then when it's too late, then that's when they start opening up and that causes a huge amount of stress mm-hmm. for all parties involved. And usually when it's built up for a long period of time, it's past the point of being fixable. Mm-hmm. So um, we've actually seen that uh, the number one cause of divorce in Canada is money issues and arguments over money. Mm. And if those conversations were being held earlier in relationships, before marriage, and then even on a monthly basis of just checking in of, hey, this is where we're at. Here's our goals. This is what we need to do this month. Mm -hmm. Would go a long way. I, I almost link financial health to physical health almost directly where if you want to improve your financial health, it's much like wanting to improve your physical health. Mm -hmm. You need to put in that time week after week. You can't, you know, skip going to the gym for 10 years and then, okay, well, let's fix it tomorrow. Yeah. It's, it's not going to happen. It's, 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 uh, you know, that weekly check-in, monthly check-in, keep working on it. Why do you think that we avoid checking in? Do you think that we're just not taught what we should be or that resources just aren't easy to find, maybe? I think it's all of the above. We're definitely not taught about money uh, in our education systems the way we should be, or it's not a focus. I'm not saying that we need to just focus on money. Yeah. Um, But I know a lot of people don't have... Um, meaningful conversations even with their parents about financial situations. Mm-hmm. Even for myself, I've, I've only recently had money conversations with my parents. I, I didn't grow up rich, but I didn't grow up poor. And I think my parents wanted to, you know, shield us from, you know, any of the bumps along the way. Mm-hmm. So it just seemed very constant. Yeah. But I, I actually don't know. I, I, don't know how my parents manage their money. I, I still don't know how much they make or made in the past. Yeah. I didn't know until I was in university how much, you know, living expenses and groceries were. And that was a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> and as much as, uh, you know, it's kind of, I wish they would have taught me about it. The, <laughs> the trial by fire that I got while I was in university uh, was a great lesson. Mm-hmm. Like, you learn lessons when you make mistakes, and definitely I made a ton of mistakes. You probably saw a bit of a lifestyle dip <laughs> going up. Absolutely. I know when I would run out of money on my dining hall card, have a couple weeks still left in the semester, and I'd be like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing something wrong. Well, let's talk about how about a couple of financial tips. We could 
give to listeners to improve their financial wellness? The number one suggestion I would have for anybody is just start opening up about money and finding someone you can confide in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you will have to take that leap of faith to start talking about money. It's not going to be fun. It's going to be super stressful. But I promise you, if you find someone that you can trust, you will feel so much better after talking about money Mm -hmm. and having that open dialogue. Now, this doesn't mean talking money to everybody (laughs) because money discussions are still a huge taboo. There was an interesting study down in the States where they said people were more willing to talk about religion, politics, and their romantic relationships before they would talk about money. Yeah, I'd believe that. Yeah. (laughs) So just starting to have those open conversations with someone you trust. And then starting with bite-sized goals with your finances. A lot of people look at, you know, their retirement goal as something to focus on, where Mm -hmm. that can be a huge goal. Talking to someone in their early 30s, you know, the retirement number they should be aiming for is probably north of $2 million. But if you look at, you know, starting small, having those small savings goals, $100 a month or $50 a month, putting into an investment account and just letting it sit and compound, that adds up a lot over time. And, you know, the investing your money Mm -hmm. is going to do most of the heavy lifting for you. So you don't have to stress about it. And especially if you're in your 50s, you don't have to worry about coming up with that money all at once. Yeah, we had some good tips, particularly for the retirement savings on our accounting episode as well, Um, and particularly for business owners that might be taking dividends. So once you're kind of, you know, really figure out what your goals are, um, start doing that review on a weekly basis, whether it's just by yourself, looking at your accounts, looking at your checking accounts, uh, talking to your spouse about it. When you're starting to look at a weekly basis, you're starting to look at what might come up this next week. So you can start planning for it in advance. Mm -hmm. And then once you start planning for the week, you can start planning for the month. And then when you start planning for the months ahead, you can start planning for the year ahead. Mm -hmm. And when people can get to the planning one year out, I see a huge shift because there's so many things that happen on a yearly basis since um, Christmas was just uh, a month or so ago, that's one of the biggest conversations that I'm having with my clients right now is looking at how much did you spend on Christmas? Yeah. It was quite a bit, but was it about the same as you did the year before and the year before that? Okay, so we have 10 months before Christmas. Why don't we take that number that you think, it's a pretty good estimate, that you think you're going to be spending in December of uh this next year coming up, divide it by the 10 months. Mm -hmm. That's the amount of savings you should be putting aside for your Christmas spending. And then when Christmas comes, it's guilt-free spending. You've already done the heavy lifting. You don't have to spend the money and then worry about the credit card bill that's coming in January. Yes. Where they talk about Blue Monday when the credit card bills come. Yeah. I think January is a pretty miserable month for a lot of people. (laughs) That one tip will make January a great month. Hopefully. Fresh start to the new year instead of starting the new year off with, yeah, a big bill. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. Did you have any others? Just back to managers and small business owners, um, just be open to discussing money situations. I'm not saying 
really get into people's business, but allow employees to come to you if they have issues where they just need to let something off their chest. Uh, they do see small business owners as confidants and mentors. Mm -hmm. So if small business owners uh, could show that they're open to having these money conversations and showing, hey, even teaching employees about how um, the fiscal management of the business applies to their employees yeah. is huge. It's a, it's a great learning opportunity to show employees here's how what you do in the business affects the business's bottom line mm -hmm. and makes the business more successful is a great opportunity for small business owners to teach those little bits of financial literacy yeah. in a way that you know will help their business overall. Totally. Any position I've had where I've been involved in the budgeting, it really helps put into perspective what my role is and help me see what I can, what else I can bring. Cause I think it brings up ideas too, but it's a good point that it also helps you with your own financial situation. Just learning those little bits and pieces here and there of how it all works and seeing numbers. Yeah. yeah Cause I, I do feel like employees don't have a really good sense of what their contributions on a day-to-day -day basis, how those affect the company's fiscal situation. Mm -hmm. So if, small business owners and uh, managers were a little bit more open, kind of, hey, you see how this project came in, this project will increase our margins by blah, 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 blah. I yeah. don't want to go into details, but definitely having those conversations would be uh, a great learning opportunity for employees on uh, fiscal management and money management. What do you think about the way that money management is getting gamified? I actually don't really like the gamification of money management. It, the one thing that we've seen with gamification, it makes things easier for people to comprehend and mm -hmm. they don't actually think about their finances as much or on a deeper level. So, you know, um, I can't specifically talk about any one app that's doing this gamification. Um, I know, I know that there's so many coming out in the marketplace, but mm -hmm. by allowing people to gamify their, their money management, it's really doing them a disservice by really having a deeper conversations about, hey, what are your goals? Why are you doing this? Does this provide value? And uh, I think there, there can be a good mix mm -hmm. of, hey, here's a simpler or a more immediate way of just showing where you're at but I think we need more deeper conversations with money. Yeah, so we need to still be getting the knowledge even if we're gonna be using something simpler. Exactly. Do you wanna talk a little bit about what you do with Frame Financial and suggestions you have for people to get that deeper learning? So Frame Financial is an online tool that uh, employers can use as their financial wellness program. It, uh, it kind of spans the gamut from, you know, just having a, a knowledgeable place, a library of financial literacy topics, videos, and information where employees can just pull up something they need on demand. Mm -hmm. But it also goes into financial wellness webinars. Uh, there is one-on-one -on -one coaching. We try to cover all the aspects of it. And the one thing that we're really proud of is we actually have some algorithms that can create financial plans that are personalized for your employees. So they can punch in their information 
and actually look at how they're doing for their goals mm -hmm. and what are some specific ways that they can help their financial situation. Hmm. The, the other thing that we've, we're really proud of is that we're, we brought on a um, behavioral scientist to oh, help cool. us develop looking at what are some people's mindsets and different drivers and then starting to figure out the best way to, I would say, drip out the information to people. Yeah. Some people like drinking from the fire hose and getting all the suggestions all at once. Yep. And I can see some people are definitely, okay, just give me what I need to do now. And when I'm done that, give me the next step. Mm -hmm. So looking at those things where we can figure out what is the best way to provide information to people based on their own uh, mindsets and experiences and behaviors. That's very cool. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm such a behavioral finance geek that <laughs> I, I, I definitely see the value in it. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's weird. Financial behaviors are so weird just because our, our mind is so good at doing um, gymnastics to yes. kind of convince us what we need because it always comes back to uh, the lizard brain of, hey, just give me good food, give me shelter, mm -hmm. and keep me happy. Give yep. me endorphins. Where in our modern world, most of the stuff that we need to do is not the pleasant stuff. Or the stuff that we should be buying or should be doing with our money isn't the fun stuff. It hurts me to spend money on my car, even <laughs> when I need to, but I will go out and buy new clothes every week yep. <laughs> like it's nothing. And I'll have it in my mind where I'm not going to do it or I'm going to set a certain limit. And it's very interesting how quickly that goes out the window. My brain's like, nope, this is going to make you happy. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, funny. that rush of endorphins. Yeah. Uh, actually, that's, uh, that's one of the symptoms of uh, financial stress is, you know, buying things or eating unhealthy comfort foods is one of those things that uh, a financially stressed person will do to just make themselves feel better instantly because, you know, yeah. the financial stress part of it, they can't make it go away from just doing something instantly, but they can ease their pain by buying something or eating something that's comforting. The other thing I like about behavioral economics is taking down the barriers, making it as easy as possible to get help, seek help, or get enrolled into a program mm -hmm. is the number one thing. If, if there's too many barriers, people will just give up. Even if it's some simple as you know, signing a piece of paper and faxing it in, yep. that might be a barrier that some people will just give up on. Not that it's hard, it's just another thing that they have to do, and there's other things that take priority over that. Mm -hmm. What do you think about things like online retirement calculators? I know that they're readily available mm -hmm. and a lot of people kind of rely on them and um, business owners kind of point to them as like hey we we do financial literacy and financial wellness they can use these calculators but the thing is they're they're readily available because they're just back of the napkin calculations and it doesn't as i said before doesn't provide any context to someone's actual situation their mm -hmm. their money situation so I actually don't like the online calculators that are readily available right now just because it can lead people down into a false sense of security mm -hmm. or relying on it to say, okay, well, that's what I need and 
that's all. I'm, I'm good to go. When yeah. there's so many other things that are all involved and interconnected where, you know, just punching a number into a calculator and giving you, okay, this is how much you need. That's only part of the story. Mm-hmm. Even earlier, you said two million, and I've done those calculators, and they've told me one million. So I'm going to be a million short. It's yeah. <laughs> a big deal. Well, one of those calculations is yeah, based on age. What age you're going to be retiring at? Mm-hmm. What is your lifespan? Mm-hmm. A lot of those calculators are basing retiring at age 60 and living to age 88 mm-hmm. or 90. But as we've seen, there's so many advancements in in healthcare that yes. are we going to be living to 90, 80, 60, or 60 is a little bit short, but is there a possibility that we're living to 120? Mm-hmm. If that's the case, will our $1 million in retirement savings get us to age 120? Mm-hmm. No, absolutely not. And no. our our CPP and OAS benefits, our uh, Canadian Pension Plan benefits, is only going to provide so much for us in retirement. We definitely need retirement savings to help cover the gap. What would you suggest people do instead of going to these quick fix calculators? I, I'm biased, but I definitely believe going to talk to an unbiased financial coach, financial advisor, and spending a little bit of money to get some advice that is personalized yeah. will go a long way. And the value that you spend on that will be definitely made up in the next five years of you know improving your financial situation by implementing the changes that these people have provided for you based on your situation. And then you'll find a way to keep those lattes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Always find room for the lattes. And avocado toast. Oh my gosh, avocado toast is so good. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Small Business Mastermind. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Russ and that you got some helpful information for understanding that connection between financial, physical, and mental wellness. If you'd like to subscribe to the podcast, simply visit olympiabenefits.com slash podcast, where you'll see a subscribe button. Simply click that, enter your email, and you'll be notified anytime a new episode is posted. We have lots of great episodes coming up and I can't wait for you to hear them. So thank you so much again for tuning in and I'll be chatting with you very soon.